On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichert and Lehman, we talk about OU football players not returning to campus until July 1st. We discuss Iowa State's plan for fans in the stands in the fall and what that may mean for college football. We talk about why the TV networks are delaying the release of game times for early season matchups. We wet the beak and talk a little sports gambling, give you our winners and losers of the week, and finish with keeping it local with an update on casinos and a great story of an Oklahoman leaving his estate to a nonprofit. As always, we answer some of your Twitter questions. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, May 28th. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. And a lot is happening in the college football world. And luckily for us, Ted, the University of Oklahoma is right in the middle of it. We've been talking about when teams are going to come back, when are players going to be back on campus. The SEC established June 8th. The Big 12 came out and said, hey, players can come back June 15th. The Pac-12 shocks everyone, everyone, (laughs) and says that their players can come back June 15th. And to a lot of people's surprise, not our surprise, because we saw this coming, but OU's players will not be back until July 1st, Ted. Uh, I know you called it. I know you said you thought it may even be July 6th to get him in after the 4th of July holiday, but we knew this was going to be a conservative approach from the leadership at Oklahoma, and it's exactly what it is. Yeah. The whole thing is interesting. I would never have thought whenever this whole thing started that Oklahoma would be one of the last Power 5 schools to come in now I haven't seen of anyone else saying that they're going to slow play it to come back uh, as far as what I've seen what the conferences have issued most teams are going to abide by that um, so I never would have thought that Oklahoma would be uh, one of maybe the last school to I, be back I think <laughs> I think a lot of OU fans are sharing similar feelings um, because it it does feel like Oklahoma, will be behind the eight ball, right? That's the feeling now. Whether that'll translate to wins and losses in the fall, no, I don't think. But there's no doubt they're going to have less time than other big-time programs, right? These SEC schools, and we've talked about Tennessee being their opponent in week two, they're going to be back June 8th. 
I mean, the likes of Clemson, Ohio State, they're going to be back June 8th. And Oklahoma is doing a different thing. I mean, they're, they're, they're being more cautious, or at least that's what they want us to believe. They're, they basically come out in a press release and said that they're bringing their guys back as late as they can because they want to be as safe as possible right? This is what the medical professionals have told them. I also think there's probably a little bit of they don't trust 18 to 22-year-old guys to make the best decisions when they leave the facility. So maybe you get them on campus a little later. But it is interesting, but it's, the, it's been the message that Lincoln Riley and Joe Castiglione and the leadership at OU have been sending this entire time, so it, it really shouldn't shock anyone. No, I don't think so. I mean, it doesn't shock me because of the statement I heard from Lincoln Riley right before we knew the SEC was going to vote. Now, had Lincoln Riley not made that statement... They would be this, back earlier than July 1st. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's the case or not, but... That's the only reason I'm not shocked right now is because my shock happened whenever he made that statement. You've already been shocked. You right. can't be shocked when you were already shocked. That's right. I've built up some immunity to it, I guess. So I, I don't know, man. I had, had that conversation not played out the way it did, would they be coming back with the rest of the Big 12? I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. But, man, I'll tell you this. <laughs> Does it matter? I don't know. I mean, obviously, you'd like to get as much practice time in as all of your opponents, right? Um, so there has to be something to it. In the grand scheme of things, are we going to be able to look at them uh, in, in opening week and say, boy, it sure looks like they missed some time there in June in offseason workouts? Are we going to be able to say that? I doubt it. But that really doesn't matter because if you lose a game, specifically – the Tennessee game, right? Going up against an SEC team that, you know, closed out the season pretty nicely, has had a really good offseason recruiting. That game all of a sudden looks maybe more difficult than, than people had you, thought a year ago. You may not have that big of a home field advantage depending on what the stands look like. You're going to have a quarterback making his second start, okay? So that's going to be a difficult game. And Here's the other thing. Their roster is going to be maybe the most talented roster we face all season. Um, I mean, you could throw Texas in there with that, but they're going to be right there. That's a recipe for a tough football game. Now, I think Oklahoma wins the game, but should you lose it, I guarantee the first question asked in the, in the post-game press conference is, were your guys not prepared because of – the late reporting date. And yeah. You know it, and I know it. That's oh. that's exactly where everything's going to go. That's going to be Al's first question on the Monday press conference. <laughs> Why'd you guys come in so late? <laughs> Is this because you didn't come in until July first? Well, okay. So we we just got to accept it. They're coming July first, right? right now. They're going to start the voluntary workouts July first. So I would anticipate the players getting back. Uh, probably June 27th, right? That Saturday, you have to get everyone checked medically, physicals, all that stuff before the guys hit the ground running on July 1st. Now, 
according to some reporting from the Oklahoman, as of now, these workouts won't be led by the strength and conditioning staff. This isn't going to be a normal organized workout, and that's as of now. According to what the Oklahoman reported, the university staff can be there, but they can't lead the workout. They're just there for safety. That sounds ridiculously stupid to me, and it makes no damn sense in my mind. That is going to change, in my opinion. I can't imagine that July 1st rolls around and they're still not able to have organized workouts, right? What's the point of everyone working out in the weight room if the strength coaches can't do their damn jobs, Ted? I don't – I mean, that's one of those things that just doesn't seem right to me. Why? I don't know why they would change the entire strength and conditioning structure. I mean, there's really – there's I could understand no them like not that. spotting them, and it, of course, maybe like, smaller groups and, yeah, and stuff like and, that. But why? Why can they not lead the the workout? I'm not sure about that. And yeah, like, it was. My, I mean, I'm wondering it's, if it's, it's what Barry Trammell wrote, and I, I assume yeah. he talked to some important people at yeah. OU. But when I read it, I was I was very confused. I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Then why even have the kids in the weight room? Now, of course, OU's got all kinds of equipment that these kids probably don't have access to at your local gold's gym or your high school workout facility, whatever, but it doesn't make any sense to go through all of this stuff to get your temperature checked and to be wearing a mask and your strength coach can't take you through a workout. That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, that, that, that would be idiotic for me. My only my only question is, I wonder if they're meaning, because typically whenever we're talking about unorganized activities, we're talking about seven-on-seven, one-on-one drills, offensive-defensive line, going out there and doing stuff in unorganized workouts. And you usually have not the strength and conditioning staff, but the trainers out there. No one's leading the drills. It's only the players. And you've got people out there for safety. They've got Gatorade, water. They're there with their tape and, and all that stuff if the guys need it. Like, that's completely normal. So if that's, like, got mixed up and that's what they meant to say, that would make that, sense. But why even bring the guys back if no one's going to – I mean, you want them back just because, but I, there's no reason to not have your strength staff. That's why they're there is to work these guys out. It's literally their job, and they get paid pretty well to do it. So I'm sure that'll get ironed out. That doesn't make any sense in my mind. I don't think it makes any sense in your mind. I'll tell you, right now, reporting July 1st, I mean, I'm not a fan of it. I wish the guys were here as soon as possible, getting as much work in as everyone else in college football. But – July 1's the day, we'll live with it, as long as we hit the ground running. But if you're telling me that now we're going to be one of the last schools in Power 5 to report, and once we, we report, we're not even going to be doing any organized activities? We're just going to be there, and the guys are going to be doing bench press and bicep curls in the weight room? I mean, Just looking I'm, at a board and not being able to receive instruction? I mean – Summer workouts aren't summer workouts if your strength coach isn't taking you through it. That's, that's where the misery comes in. That, that's the whole thing. So I, 
I, I'm just a little confused on the details of that. What I'm not confused on the details of is what Oklahoma put out in that press release, right? It's all about the safety of the guys. They say all individuals will wear masks provided by the athletics department. They're going to comply with social distancing, which is a phrase that I am so damn tired of saying, but you know what? It is what it is. Now, it sounds like the groups in the weight room are going to be 10 or fewer. That makes perfect sense to me. They've got those two different weight rooms to use. Both of them have kind of an indoor-outdoor feel. You know, the dungeon we used to die in, Teddy, you know, they've got that garage door and the new fancy facility there in the south end zone. That's got a big old garage door. So there'll be some airflow in there. I know that a lot of people are worried about that. But I, I am worried about the small groups. And it's the smart thing to do. It is. But the thing about summer workouts is the energy and the camaraderie you have in that big group. Now, your, your position group is in there, right? I, I mean, but the, you feed off the other guys. And if you're in a group of six guys, where the hell is the energy going to come from? I, I mean, how are you going to push yourself past your limits? And that, that's kind of what that period is all about, is finding out how far you think you can go physically and then kind of pushing yourself past that I don't know if a group of 10 guys is going to be able to bring that energy to each other. I, I, I just don't know. You, you don't see that. Well, right. And, and that's kind of the, the problem with not having the strength and conditioning staff. I mean, typically in a workout, I mean, a lot of times, you know, there's a leader, there's an energy guy, and that's fine. But the workout is usually only as good as the lowest common denominator, right? I mean, and if you don't, if, if that's where the strength coaches come in and there's nobody that's able to drag. There's nobody that's able to walk in the door a little bit late or to not quite get to the line on the sprints or not quite get that time, not quite get those last couple of reps whenever you're, you're doing a lift. That's where the strength and conditioning coaches come in. So whenever that's not going to be able to take place, you've got small groups can really be drugged down by you know just whoever brings the bad attitude in on a given day and dude it's gonna happen all every single day whenever there's a hundred guys on a football team and you're gonna have 10 or so different groups there's gonna be some guys that what for whatever reason don't feel like doing it today and usually that's where the strength and conditioning staff says well uh, that's too bad you're gonna do it and it's just gonna be harder to police that guys have, have to police themselves I mean, we'll see how the leadership comes in, but man, I, th that's another thing, Gabe, and, and you'll hear me and, and you and, and other that, guys that that is where quality, man, that, that is where leaders, right. at, at least on the teams that I played on, if you weren't a guy that could get through summer workouts and show some leadership in those sessions, you weren't viewed as the leader on the team. You, right. you just weren't. You, you weren't. So with a football team that lost its best wide receiver, its quarterback, its best two players on defense, where's the leadership coming from if you don't have these big group workouts? 
how do you see each other in 90 days? How do you develop that? And, and I know they're doing virtual meetings and everything. And I understand that, but how do you develop the leadership on your football team this way? It's just what it's supposed to just happen in August when they get, yeah. when they get the green light for practice, I, it's going to be difficult. And Oklahoma is not the only team in this boat. I mean, there's teams across the country that lost veteran leaders and they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how are they going to replace those guys. But yeah, I, I just don't know because those summer workouts where that, that was where leaders would really emerge and, for and some of the teams where, I was on. Yeah. And that's where the strength and conditioning staff comes in because, you know, it's, it's a hundred and, two, three degrees out there in the middle of July and you're running sprints or you're in the stadium or you're doing whatever it is and someone doesn't have it that day, a leader can step up and say, get your ass out of here. Not today. Not around this group. You're gone. And that's where the strength and conditioning staff has your back on that, right? And you can say those things and the strength and conditioning staff will back you up. Well, you know, if, if you don't have that and they're not there to kind of police it, you know, you, either guys won't do it, guys won't leave, guys won't, you know, or they're just going to straight up throw down fist right there on the field. I mean, you know how it Round goes. one, fight. So, <laughs> it's just a – it's an interesting dynamic, man. I'm – you know, part of the reason I wish they were back sooner, if you want to tell me that we're coming back but we're going to be back June 15th, like the rest of the Big 12, but we're not going to start workouts until July 1, I'd be okay with that because it gives you time to figure out exactly the best way to do it. I know they've got a plan now, but what happens if they get in there and they're a week in? Nothing ever goes in. wrong with plans. Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you've got a very thin margin to work with. You get in there, and it's just you're not getting the results that you want. It's just you're not getting the workouts that you want. There's no time to change anything, and you can't adapt at all. The testing stuff, what happens if you have a positive test? They're going to be so late in the game that I don't know that they can adjust anything. Here's the other thing. Dude, you've got, what, three weeks before guys are going to be uh, full-on smashing each other in the mouth, spitting all over, sweating all over each other? Like, why why is – this three weeks going to be the difference and we've got guys in mask and everything. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's really weird. It's you, the, it's, the, I know it's the not one, easy. It's, it's weird. The one interesting thing for me when it comes to this and you mentioned 4th of July. Well, there's no way it, it, it seems like these kids are going to get there July one and they're going to be there until school starts and the season kicks off. I, I can't imagine if you're starting this late that you're just not going two straight months and getting ready to play and just hoping that the guys do the right things off the field. I, I Do you make them do things on weekends? I, I don't know, but. Well, I mean, if you show up on a, if you show up on July one, that's a Wednesday. So you're probably going to go Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe Friday, usually, I mean, it's a national, it's like the biggest national holiday there is. I mean, there's got to be a day thrown in there, right? I mean, so what do you maybe go you do Thursday? a team 4th of July and you shoot some fireworks. I, 
I mean, at that point, you you know, there's no already... point to show up July first if you're going to give them the Fourth of July off. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's strange. I, I agree 100. percent That's why I originally said they're going to probably do it the sixth. So because I know they're they don't want to bring everyone in on the first and say, all right, boys, go party at Lake of the Ozarks in that nasty swimming pool we all saw on Twitter. Go jump I mean, in the pool, boys. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know. It's 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 strange. Oh, one. One development that just came down from the NCAA is regarding virtual physical activities. Remember, OU, they're not starting July 1st, but starting June 1st, the NCAA has decided to allow strength and conditioning coaches to virtually observe voluntary physical workouts for health and safety purposes, but only if requested. By student athletes, I, what what do you say? Hey, coach, I'm gonna squat. Want to watch? Like, oh, how awkward is that? That is that is one of Check the weirdest things. Of, how do I look, bud? Like Benny, how am I looking? I don't know. Okay, so I think there was like a. <laughs> this was a weird deal. So, a lot of guys obviously went back to their hometowns, right? They had to. And they started working out at local gyms, um, local strength and conditioning places, high school gyms, like anywhere that they could get in. And then they started sending the film back to the coaches, showing them what all they were doing. And I think all the coaches across the country had to like put a stop to that because it was maybe some type of violation. And so it sounds like that's, that's kind of what's just one of those NCA rules where you're like, why is that a rule? Why is that a violation? Who cares? Right. I mean, I guess it, they, they could say that they could give them improper uh, coaching and feedback that maybe is an advantage over. I, I don't know what the, what it is, but I think that's where that is coming in that they can send in clips of what they've been doing and get coached. So, so now the strength staff starting June one, can observe the voluntary workouts, but they cannot direct or conduct the workout. I'd send in a video just to screw with my strength coach of me looking so horribly out of shape, so awful, falling all gut, over the place. Gut pushed out. Hitting 135 like seven or eight times. <laughs> just struggling. Oh, that'd be too you, – you'd have to do that. That's, that's something that if some seniors that have been – starting for three years don't do that to their strength coaches just send them like squatting and chugging beers in between reps I'll, I'll be very disappointed now OU's coming back July 1st so we'll see how it goes I we won't know if that was a good decision or a bad decision till we see how things work out how the season starts so it's going to be really interesting but speaking of the season starting I know a lot of people have been really curious to see how schools will decide what fans get to go to the games uh, when the season rolls around. Uh, I think a lot of people are anticipating there being reduced capacity. I know that I've heard some OU fans talk about this. Is it going to be 25%? Is it going to be 50%? Well, Jamie Pollard, Iowa State's athletic director, he made their plan known to the public. 
and they are planning to have 50% capacity at Jack Trice Stadium. I, I think it holds about 61.5 or so, and they're planning on having 30,000 fans. And you would think that they would somehow sugarcoat it, right? Like, hey, right. we're going to, there's going to be a lottery or we're randomly going to select. No, 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 no. It, Jamie Pollard makes it very clear. This is a business. And here's Iowa State's plan for who the 30,000 people are going to be filling Jack Trice Stadium 50% full. Anyone who doesn't renew their season tickets and doesn't make their Cyclone, Cu- Cyclone Club donation by June 12th will not be allowed to t- attend games unless the seating capacity expands to a bigger percentage. If you don't renew your season tickets and you don't make your donation to the club, you're out. It, I, I kind of I respect it because they're not beating around the bush, right, Ted? They're like, okay, this is what it is. Here you go. This is how you get to go to the game. Well, yes. I think it's fascinating that he, he makes the plan statement. Now, I mean, just in time for everyone to make sure they get that donation in, right, and secure those season tickets so they can make it to the, to the games. I mean, I, I guess it's about all you can do, and it works for Iowa State. But let's just – and let me just say right off, I think we're going to have – I don't think we're going to have limited capacity. I think whenever we kick this thing off September 1, OU is going to have a rocking house full to the brim of people. But let's say that the 50% thing works. Well, in Oklahoma's case, Oklahoma has about 60,000-plus season ticket holders. So if you're talking about 50%, you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 18,000 season ticket holders that aren't going to be able to attend the game. Uh-oh. Now you're in a, 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 a little predicament as to how you pick and choose who's going to make it in. And I've got one, just a, a guess. It's going to have to do with that donation amount with who gets in and who doesn't. That would be my guess. I think that's a uh... – that's a pretty solid guess. Now, in Iowa State's situation, right now they've got 22,000 season ticket holders that have renewed and made their donation. So, he, <laughs> You want to bet they hit that 50% mark? He, he's going he's gonna <laughs> to get – I assume he's going to get 8,000 more people and they're going to be able to have that 50% capacity. But I, I did think it was really interesting because – this is the first one of these plans I've seen where they just straight up lay it out for you. Hey, if you don't renew, you don't, don't, don't donate to the club, you don't get tickets. You can't come to the game. They're also not planning on selling single-game tickets at Iowa State. So it, there's no ticket packages. It's season tickets, and that's it. Yeah. And – they do have some things that make a lot of sense when they announce their plan there in Ames. If someone doesn't renew, 
their season tickets this season. They still get first rights for the same seats for the 2021 season. And I thought this was a smart, smart thing to do as well. Anybody that renews but then decides they aren't comfortable going to the games can get a refund or defer that purchase to the 2021 season. So they can, I guess, ask for their money back, but I assume most people would want to defer. But I just was, I just was really curious as I was reading through it if this was going to be the approach that a lot of college football teams take because Jamie Pollard's been kind of ahead of the game on this entire thing. Remember, they had rehabbing athletes back on campus in Ames in April. Yeah. So he's been very proactive, and I think he's kind of setting the bar here for how tickets are going to be handled and, frankly, what fans are going to get to come and what fans are not. Yeah, it's going to be interesting as, you know, I'm sure most universities, even if they haven't gone public with it, probably are thinking something along the same lines. If we're talking about a season with uh, only a percentage of, of your stadium's capacity going to be allowed in the gate. And the word's going to get out pretty quickly. If you want to watch your school, you're going to have to scoop up some of those season tickets. And uh, I think it's going to be a good opportunity for some of these universities to sell those season tickets. Now we'll see what happens as as things change, as we get closer to to September there, and and you know we'll we'll have a better feeling of what the virus looks like, and are we going to be able to open up? And I'll tell you, there is a silver lining, Gabe, and I'm always looking for a silver lining. It looks like it looks like Oklahoma State will have a sellout at a game other than Oklahoma if they're only going 50% capacity. That's wow. Impressive. What do you think? <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, that you you said silver lining. That's that's certainly going to make our uh, our listeners in Stillwater and the the Tulsa area very happy that you just randomly worked in an Oklahoma State Boone picking stadium shot for no I reason. I, I hey, I respect it. I respect. I do what it. I can. You think Kansas will get a sellout? No. It's going to be set. Kansas is going to. We're going to. They're going to say we're going to be really proactive and. St- safe 80 only uh 15 percent capacity this year we're going to allow through the gates Uh, all all i'm saying is if you want to go to the games in the fall with how things stand right now with all the mystery still surrounding the coronavirus and how it spreads if you wanted to if you want to go to the games you better renew your season tickets and you better make your donation because i think like just like Iowa State, that is going to be commonplace across the country now. Everything can get adjusted if seating capacity expands. Uh, there, there's no doubt. Maybe they go 75%. Hopefully it's 100%. But it's just something to think about. If you're a fan that wants to be in the stands for your team in the fall, it's it is what it is this this is still a business right yeah yeah i don't know man i i think it's fascinating i, I think it's fascinating i and i just the logistics around all of it is insane like i said oklahoma 60 some thousand season ticket holders that's well above 50 percent capacity 
uh, how do you pick and choose? How do you figure out a seat chart? I mean, you're going to have to just kiss your old seats goodbye, and there's going to be some randomized seat chart there's, thrown out there. There's got to be like an algorithm. There, I, I assume there's a company that can do all that for a rather steep fee. Yeah. Well, I mean, good luck whenever the guy that's uh, had the 50-yard line season tickets for 55 years all of a sudden is – you know, in the, in the end zone upper level. And uh, I I just see that it's going to be one of those cases where even though for the athletic department, it's like, it's unavoidable because this is the situation we're in. It's going to be one of those where nobody's happy. Nobody is going to be happy that, you know, just the way it's going to work out. It's, it's going to be a fascinating situation to see how everyone makes it through it. At least we're talking about games happening and fans being in the stands. It's 100%. a lot better than what we were talking about two, three weeks ago where oh, we were man. going, is football gone forever? Will it ever be played again? So <laughs> I, I'm happy to be having this discussion instead. Uh, another discussion this week about college football was about game times for early matchups in the season. And the conferences and the television networks agreed to an extension for early season game times. The normal deadline is June 1st. That wouldn't make any sense. Uh, So we're not sure when teams will be playing early in the year. We're not sure what channel they're going to be playing on. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal right now, Teddy, but. That is going to be a really interesting puzzle that the TV networks and the conferences are going to have to piece together because this isn't just a college football issue. Fox, CBS, and ESPN, they have to figure out when pro sports leagues are going to play. Yeah. Like if the NBA doesn't start up till late July or early August, the NBA is going to be playing during football season. And are you going to choose an NBA Finals game or an early season game between a Power Five team and an FCS opponent? You're you're choosing. You're going to put you're going to put the NBA Finals game in the big time slot. So that's going to be interesting to see how they piece all of that together. What's happening with the NBA? What the hell is happening with Major League Baseball? Nothing. Nothing possibly. <laughs> so. I don't think it's anything to be worried about. I know some people, it raised their eyebrows when they saw that they were delaying this deadline, but it makes all the sense in the world because we really don't know what the hell is going to be going on in late August, early September. Like, what sports are going to be get played? I just hope I don't have to watch any more damn cornhole on ESPN or anything like that. But they may have to shift some things around and then you get into CBS and, you know, some of the golf stuff, right? They moved the Masters, right, to November. So it, they, they got a lot to figure out, but I, I'm not that worried about it. But it's, it's never fun when you can't make your plans well in advance when you're a college football fan. That, that's never fun because prices go up and up and up the closer you get to kickoff. So not ideal, but – once again, 
everything that's going on right now is just confusing. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating and kind of like you're talking about if if we're getting into a situation where maybe it's early in the season and there's some overlap with, you know, some big time NBA games, I wonder if we see more like Thursday, Friday games you know, moving them around with some of the non-conference stuff. I don't know, to give a little more wiggle room on the, the weekend windows uh, for some bigger events. I don't know. That's something to look at. The other thing is, I, you know, more time, because there was a point where we weren't sure if the Pac-12 was going to be playing at all, right? And teams that had non-conference games with them, it's like, are we going to play that or, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen here? It looks like all that is gone now. And for the most part, it looks like California, Oregon, those schools are actually going to be playing football. Now, what it looks like in the stadium, I don't know. But um, I think all of the talk about, you know, because Alabama and TCU were talking about playing if, if those teams weren't going to be able to do their non-conferences with the California schools. So, I think just a little bit more time to make sure that everything is locked in. Uh, the teams that are supposed to play are actually going to play. And once you clear that hurdle, then you can start locking in some, some timelines. But, I mean, you hit it with the NBA. Until you get a definitive plan from the NBA, they're going to be just sitting there, you know, looking at their watch, you know, saying, boys, we're running out of time here. We've got to put a definitive schedule together so we can organize this thing. I mean, it's not easy to, to figure out how you're going to truck all that equipment all across the country and all the logistics that are involved. So, I mean, right now, it's not one of those things where we got to hit the deadline, but you start getting to the, the front part of July and things have and, to start happening. And you got you to remember the money that these TV networks have paid for these games. They're going to have some – relatively significant influence in some of these decisions. I'm sure they're pressuring everyone to get back and play. And I would do the same thing if I was them. I really would. But I know that pro sports will probably bump some of these big college football games with how the timelines are looking like they're going to play out. I just hope that college football's biggest games and the games that people want to see still get the big stage. I hope they don't get overshadowed, but just everyone mentally prepare for a lot of 11 a.m. games. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe 9 a.m. games. Who knows with all the stuff, sports that are going to be happening. And I don't, I don't really want to veer into a whole different topic, but it's just a question I've been wondering about. You know, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, the way they're collectively bargained is there's a, a big piece of pie that's the, the league revenue, right? And the way it works is whenever they negotiate, the players get X percentage of that pie. And that's how you set the salary cap, right, is the percentage of whatever that prior season's revenue was. That's why we saw the NBA's salaries explode because they had a set percentage of the revenue and the revenue just ballooned with all of the television deals and all of that. So these players' salaries just skyrocketed. What's going to happen now? Because I don't see a case in where NBA this season or next, 
Major League Baseball this season for sure and next season, I mean, the revenue in all these leagues is going to be way down. What is that going to do for salary caps and player salaries moving forward? It's well, going to put teams in a tough spot trying to figure out how to how to negotiate that, right? If if you've got the best situation would be being a team that has a bunch of guys whose contracts are about to expire. Old old vets on big money deals. And that that would be the best position to be in because all indications point to the salary caps dropping, which is not normally what you see. I mean, these leagues are very focused on growth, right? So each year, that's why you see, you see the reports on Twitter, right? Hey, the salary cap has gone up X amount of dollars and everyone celebrates because the guys are going to get more money and it, it's fun, but there ain't going to be any of those tweets. No. Next time no, around. It's, it's just, be, it, it's, it's just be ugly. Not, now, the, the CBAs, they're, they're still in place. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a mess. This, this whole thing is a mess. I mean, it's a mess for the economy, for a lot of businesses. And, yeah, college athletics and professional athletics aren't safe from it. So I don't know if anyone knows that answer, but I'm sure there's some guys with some law degrees and <laughs> master's degrees from some Ivy League schools and working in league offices trying to figure all that stuff out. And I wish those nerds the best of luck because that doesn't sound fun at all. But a lot of, lot of exciting headlines this week during college football. But, Ted, let's, let's move on to our segments. And it is Thursday. So, you know, we got to wet the beak a little bit and talk some sports gambling. Now, a lot of NFL odds have been coming out over the last couple of weeks. And there was one that really caught my attention this week. And that was the betting odds for AP coach of the year for the upcoming NFL season. And I, I want to see if you can find the theme on the first couple, Teddy, because the two coaches with the best odds to win coach of the year are tied at 12 to 1. One of them's name is Bill Belichick. The other's name is Bruce Arians. Do you see any hmm. correlation between those two human beings? Hmm. I think that's fascinating. Now, I, I definitely see the correlation. Obviously, Tom has left New England and gone to Tampa Bay, where Coach Arians is at the helm there. But, all right, let's say New England goes and makes it to a Super Bowl or wins a Super Bowl. Bill Belichick did it without Tom Brady. Wow, what a coach, okay? Deserving. But if Tom Brady goes to Tampa and goes to a Super Bowl, then doesn't it kind of prove that it's the quarterback and not really the coach? So how would you necessarily be able to say that Bruce Arians is the best coach in the league all of a sudden? You would just be like, eh, Bruce Arians. There would be nothing more detrimental to Bill Belichick's <laughs> legacy than that happening. But Bruce, Bruce Arians, I, first of all, I don't think Bruce Arians gives a shit about no, winning doesn't. coach of the year. All he uh, cares think, about is that uh, 7 or 8 o'clock cocktail. There's no doubt in those sweet – do those – do his glasses, does he have the transition lenses? 
I feel like sometimes they're clear, so. sometimes they're tinted. I don't know. It's good look. It it works for him along with that hat. It may rocks. it may just I don't know if they're the transitions. Maybe it just has to do with how many of those cocktails he had the night before. A few I more cocktails. That. I can the, relate. The, the lenses get a little darker. Yeah, but if Tom Brady goes to Tampa and just crushes it. Yeah, Bruce Arians, I think he'll be right there in the mix. You would assume he won't win because everyone will be like, oh, it's Tom Brady. But he does have – he is tied for the best odds at 12-1 to 1 with Belichick. Now, the, the second best odds, the man third on the list, Mike McCarthy at 14-1. to 1, And Dallas has a ton of talent. There's no doubt. You got all that talent on defense. You got pass rushers. And you got some young stud linebackers. You've got Dak. You've got Zeke. You've got Amari Cooper. And now C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. That's a ton of talent and a ton of pressure. But I kind of like Mike McCarthy at 14-1. to 1. I know that those aren't great odds, but they can be really damn good. They really can if they put it all together. I feel like we've been saying that for the last several years, <laughs> right? But maybe Mike McCarthy, maybe that change, maybe that different voice gets the Cowboys to the next level. Maybe they turn into a dominant team in the NFC. I I, I don't know, but it, I I was really interested to see him at 14-1, right behind Arians and Belichick. Here's what I think is interesting. And I agree with you that Dallas is loaded and looks like um, it looks like there's a chance that they could make a run. I mean, they've been close. They just can't get over the hump. But if Mike McCarthy goes to Dallas, this is kind of back to the Bruce Arians thing for me. If Mike McCarthy goes to Dallas and all of a sudden goes on some special run, I I have a hard time saying that, wow, what a job the coach did whenever he just had Aaron Rodgers, who's been the best quarterback in the NFL for the last, like, eight years. So, uh, I don't know. I think that would be weird. I'll tell you some guys that, that are kind of long shots that I think have an opportunity to do something to where you can pinpoint the coach and say – that coach turned things around. And I think you have to look directly to Stefanski with Cleveland, right? You got the same cast of characters, and you got the same quarterback, same system. It's been disarray. If he is able to go in there and win that division with a, a group that just seems like all the time there's just one problem after another to give them some structure, I think that is a, a, a decent – He's 18 to one. There's some decent odds there. Um, and some of the guys at, at like 33 to one, Matt rule, a guy that, that we both like a lot coming from Baylor. Love me some Matt rule, but he's, he's got a lot of work to do there they in do. Carolina, but you yeah, don't have to I, win I mean, a Super Bowl to get coach of the year. Yeah, you know? that's a great point. That is a great point. You, you just engineer a turnaround and that's what Matt rule is there to do. I, I don't know about in year one, with some of the moves they've made, but yeah. he still has Christian McCaffrey, so hey, they got a chance, right? That guy can do it all. Right. Um, what about Zach Taylor, Cincy? 
Well, I mean, they can't be much worse. You you've got awful. some. You would assume that Joe Burrow is going to have some growing pains, but you got Joe Mixon, AJ Green as of now, and they could be good offensively and surprise a lot of people and win a lot of games. Now, I wouldn't anticipate them making any noise or even getting to the playoffs, but if you go from what they were last year, they had the first pick in the draft for a reason, Ted. That's right. It's because they were awful. If if they have Burrow that looks anything like he did his final year at The best quarterback these eyes have ever seen. They could be – I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot for all of a sudden the AFC North to fall apart. Ben Roethlisberger is 75 years old and held together by athletic tape, okay? The Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns. It's been one disaster after another with them since basically the early 90s. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, that's the, that's the one that you really have to look at. But here's what I'll say to that. You know, Lamar Jackson is not the first quarterback in this league that runs around and makes plays, right? And sooner or later, every single one of that style of player has come up with some type of injury that has really hurt them. ACLs, you go back to RG3. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff with these guys. So it's not that hard to think of an early season injury to Lamar Jackson can throw Baltimore really off their game. So I don't know. No chance. I, I'm, I would never pick Cincinnati to win the AFC North. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is for some deep odds type of guys that could maybe turn something around big time and, and possibly get some votes, that'd be a couple of the guys. And I, kn- I know he doesn't have the best reputation with the league, um, but Sean Payton at 30 to 1. Yeah. Uh, I still think. Comeback story had the virus. I, I still virus think the Saints are going to be. The Saints are going to be damn good. Uh, I, I truly believe that. They got a lot of weapons. So I'm going to keep my eye on that 30-1 to 1 for Sean Payton. Now, Ted, let's move to a fictitious mm-hmm. sports gambling line. I'm not even going to set a line on it. I, I just think it's, it's hilarious. So ESPN is going to have a Peloton ride for charity on Saturday. They've got – Men and women doing it. I want to take a look at the men's division. Here's the names participating. Mike Golick Jr., love that guy. Mm-hmm. Matt Grievers. Do you know who Matt Grievers is? Swimmer, right? Swimmer, very in shape. Gordon Hayward, Booger McFarlane, Rory McElroy, Kyle Rudolph, Justin Thomas, and Bubba Watson. Now, when looking at this group, and you got to remember, Peloton ride, stationary cycling. Right. Who you putting money on to win? Because you know people are going to gamble on this charity Peloton ride. Now, uh, I have to ask you a couple of questions about the Peloton because I've never done a Peloton class. So, let's say you have a standard class. At the end of it, you can see, like, who went the furthest or, like, who burned the most calories. Like, how would you grade it? You can – okay, so you can see all of that, but the important number is output. Okay. So, on the Peloton, there's – you get three numbers, really. And on your left is cadence, which is how fast you're pedaling. 
on your right is resistance, which you can turn up and down. And in the middle, that produces an output number. Now, the rankings are by output. Gotcha. So it is a combination of power and speed and really being able to ramp up the resistance. So you have to have the combination of the stamina, but the strength as well. So I, I don't know much. I know that Booger McFarlane does this all the time, and he posts really? about it on Twitter, and he puts up some serious output numbers. So anyone sleeping on Booger, don't, because that man is going to be in the upper echelon of this thing. Let me ask you a quick question. Do we know that all of these guys are, like, for instance, Kyle Going to Rudolph, do it themselves? Well, I'm just saying, like, Kyle Rudolph isn't like, oh, okay, I'll do that. First time Peloton ride. Like, are these all guys that are active on Peloton and do it all the time and kind of know what they're getting into? I, I know that Booger does it a lot. I know that some of the golfers do it. I'm not sure – if Kyle Rudolph does it, but just look at that guy. First of all, what a great guy. But he is, I mean, he's chiseled out of stone. He can't be that bad out of it. The one guy I don't know about is Matt Grievers because anyone that has ever swam for a long distance. Great cardio base. It, it is the most miserable thing ever and i assume that a guy that can go through that type of pain can probably peloton pretty well so he's kind of my wild card i don't know anything about him i know he's olympian all that stuff medalist all that stuff i don't anticipate the golfers winning i got my eye on grievers and burger mcfarland sorry to my man mike golick jr he's got no chance He'll, he will probably eat a lot of donuts before it, knowing Mike. Okay, here's, here's my thought process. Tell me what you think. Okay, I'm going Grievers number one. Swimmers, you See, talked about See, I can't really it. argue with that because swimmers are crazy. Dude, if anyone can live in the pain cave, it's swimmers. And it, – do you have you seen Matt Grievers is like 6'8, 250 pounds? So it's not like whenever he needs to turn it on and crank the high output, like he can't get to it. He's a sprinter in swimming as well. I'm going with Grievers number one. Now, here's where it gets tricky. I'm going Gordon Hayward number two. And now, here's my reasoning basketball guys have a great cardio base. I mean, they put in. Uh, a large amount of miles every night whenever they're playing a basketball game. He's got a really good cardio base. Here's the other thing. What do we know about Peloton, Gabe? Low impact. Cycling is low impact. It's so low impact that cyclists have to, uh, have to train weights so they don't lose bone density. So here's the thing. Gordon Hayward coming back from what type of injury, Gabe? Uh, his leg almost detaching from his body. Exactly. So if you're going to get cardio, right, if you're going to keep your cardio base up, but you need something that's low impact, that's not going to really stress out an injury, it's cycling. 
I, I think that Gordon Hayward has been living on the Peloton. You think Plus, he's, he's, been, he's been Pelotoning and not telling anybody? Maybe I, he does tell people. I don't know. I don't follow him on oh, anything. Oh, he's probably got some crazy username. No one knows who he is. He's a big and video game guy, I'm pretty sure. But he's another 6'8 guy. Tall cyclist can generate a lot of output. And he's my number two. He's kind of a sleeper there. And then I know nothing other than what you told me. Uh, but I'll go with Booger McFarland, defensive tackle, uh, heavy guy, can spin, like, crank up the intensity on there and still keep it rolling. So I'll go Booger number three. The rest is a crapshoot. Um, I'll, I'll say Justin Thomas, Bubba Watson, and Rory McElroy finished dead last. Golfers are too soft. There's no way <laughs> whenever it really gets into the nitty-gritty that they'll be able to push through. Uh. I think Bubba Watson is essentially a lock to finish last. I know Justin <laughs> Thomas isn't the biggest kind of guy, but he he's competitive, and I know he does some pelotoning. So uh, I think him and Rory, that'll be fun to see who wins between The problem, them though, two. is those three guys are going up against gigantic individuals. Like, yes. these guys are huge. Mike let, Golick is huge. Let me go. I'm going to go Grievers to win. Smart. McFarland to place. Rudolph to show. Uh, see, I'm getting – see, Kyle Rudolph, he's – He's another big, big dude. dude. He would see a 6'6", 255, yeah. 260 guy. I mean, it just looks great. So – I'm definitely going to take a look at this on Saturday. Once again, I think we're all starving for live Does sports. Does he have the cardio base? That's the thing. I know Gordon Hayward has the cardio base. Well, what happens if Gordon Hayward hadn't been doing anything but playing video games and Fair point. playing with his daughters? Fair Still point. one of the best videos ever. I think it was like his third kid's <laughs> gender reveal. <laughs> Daddy's yeah, always happy. Just a <laughs> – just an all-time video. Oh, I, there's a lot of guys that only have daughters out there that can relate to that one. I'm not one of those. But, all right, Ted, let's move on. Uh, since Thursday, we got winners and losers of the week. Like our man Toby Key says, we got winners. We got losers. Who you got as your winner of the week? Uh, <laughs> I'm going with the strength and conditioning coaches. I was just thinking about this going through the rundown. You know, strength coaches, of all the guys on staff, they spend 90% of the time with the players. That's who the players are with the most. Uh, a little bit with your coaches, a lot with the strength and conditioning staff. And usually the strength and conditioning staff through winter, uh, spring, and summer, their day starts at like 3.30 in the morning. And they grind all the way around the clock until all the, all the groups are done, all the seven-on-seven seven stuff is done, and then they go home, crash, wake up, and start all over again. Drink it's, 17 sparks <laughs> and do it all over again. It's an absolute grind. And, hey, those guys are kind of on chill mode right now. It's a laid-back extended vacation for those guys. they got a little bit of time. Now it looks like even in summer workouts, it's not going to be as brutal for them putting on the workouts and everything. So I got to say the winners right now, strength and conditioning staff. And, hey, 
if it comes to the fall and the guys don't perform, it's like I didn't have any time with them. It's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to I, say? I mean, I everything was voluntary. I, I couldn't do anything. That's that's interesting. I like that. I I haven't really found myself wondering what strength and conditioning coaches are doing with all this time they have. Now, that's a really scary uh, thought. Bicep curls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Getting huge. But you know as well as I do, those guys are different dudes. I mean, they are they are a different breed of human being. And they normally, they got to get that energy and that aggression out. I wonder what some of these strength coaches have been doing to get some of that energy out. It, it makes me rather curious. There's no telling. I am jotting down a note to uh, check on this, uh, this winner from today's show in February of 2021 because there's a decent chance in February – my loser could be strength and conditioning coaches across the country getting fired because of all the injuries that happened throughout the football seasons of, uh, of college football where the guys weren't prepared. So we'll have to check back on that. We'll, we'll have our research department remember to, to check in on that February of next year. Ted, who you got as your loser of the week? The PGA Tour. Really? I mean, I just watched – a, a golf match on Sunday. We talked about it. It was fun, but I made the comment like the first eight holes, it looked like a tour pro Tiger playing with a bunch of hacks that were beating the ball all around the course. Tigers climbing under uh, branches and in the wet bushes looking for Peyton's ball. And it was still entertaining. Part of it is there were some good personalities on there, but the other part is. We're starved for any type of content right now. And the PGA has spent this entire pandemic doing nothing whenever you've got, you've got the perfect sport for what we're in. Guys can play a round of golf and never be within 50 yards of someone else. Not even close. You're outside. We know the virus does not spread outside very good. A lot of this is played in hot climates down in the south. We know the virus has a hard time. Uh, surviving in those type of climates. Uh, you've got a, a sport where you don't even have to have spectators there at all. I mean, it's set up beautifully for this, and they spent the whole time doing nothing. Here's the other point. Like, why is it so hard for the NBA, the uh, Major League Baseball, all these these organizations to get it together is because their players are collectively bargained and they're in a union. Golf isn't like that. You've got all independent contractors. If a guy doesn't want to show up and play in a tournament, he doesn't show up and play in a tournament. I mean, it's the easiest thing ever, and they missed – I mean, they would have had more people in front of the TV watching golf that have never watched golf before in their lives and getting more crossover into their sport than ever, and they completely wasted all of that time. They, they missed a big opportunity to grow the game, uh, I think. It's, it's a, in a game that's struggling. And I think that – I think more people are going to be golfers because of the coronavirus. I, I think there's a lot of people that have picked up Doing golf. stuff outside, yeah. During this whole thing, but I completely agree. Why did they say we, that's the most people that have ever watched a golf broadcast ever? On cable, yeah, on cable ever. 
So people are starving for live sports. And you're right. Golf makes the most sense. Like you talk about a sport that has very little risk. Now you take away the caddies, obviously. You could still sure. test everyone. You, you could even have mini tournaments if guys are afraid of the travel, something like that, where you, you just say, hey, every guy that lives in Florida, drive and come play in this tournament. Here's the purse. Absolutely. It's sponsored yep. by whoever. Yeah, I don't know how that has it happened. For those type of ratings. I know. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me. I don't understand it like, at all. How have, how have we not seen Brooks Kepka and Justin Thomas play around a golf together? Or Ricky just, Fowler? And it's, we just have the, like, my Just like 10 guys. The, yes. It's the easiest thing in the world. I, just take I the most popular, and I don't, I don't know who has the biggest social media present presence in the golf world but take all the top 20 guys put them in a tournament i mean if they can get there safely i think that would probably be the big concern is them getting there safely but still i'm with you i think they missed a big opportunity i watched tiger woods play 18 holes on a course by himself and not say anything i watched that sunday i mean it's the same thing he said like three words the entire time I mean, I'll, I'll tune in to watch that any day of the week if the PGA puts it out there. So that's my loser. I, I, don't, think, I don't think you're alone. I'm, I'm going to go straight to my loser because I, I think it, it relates a little bit. And my loser of the week is Major League Baseball. This is a game that really relies on its lifelong fans, right? This is baseball in the pace of play with everything that is out there now for entertainment. This game is not growing. It's not. And the league and the owners and the players association have hated each other for years and years and years. I mean, it's, it's well documented, but this week, major league baseball presents its first plan proposed plan to the MLBPA, and they make the dumbest mistake you can possibly make. They say the highest-paid players, the most recognizable guys, the guys that people know, the guys who people buy jerseys of, they want those guys to take the biggest salary cut. They want their most popular players to take the biggest salary cut. Now, I understand it. It makes sense. Players receive a percentage of the prorated salary. But did you notice what the NBA did? When they started all these talks, who was on the phone? It was the stars because stars make leagues. I mean, that is, that's a big problem with golf, right? Yeah. When Tiger's not in it. Sure. I mean, stars are what make these professional leagues. And how they thought, and I know that they're in a bad financial situation, cutting their season and having to get, like, like I get, I get it. 
But how the hell did they think the most important guys were going to say, yeah, go ahead, cut my salary the most? Well, I'll tell you kind of the flip side and what I've seen not only Major League Baseball, uh, the NBA has done it, and definitely the NFL does it. Whenever there's a negotiation going on between owners and players, what is everyone typically fighting for? Well, I know what the owners are fighting for, and I know what the players are fighting for. The players are fighting for money. The owners are fighting for public opinion. And there's no better way to win public opinion than to say all of the most notable guys are going to take a big chunk of pay because of how much they make. And what happens? The stars say, oh, hell no. I ain't cutting my salary to go out there and play and risk it. We heard Blake and, Snell say that. And, and then what the, is, owners, the owners point at him and go, see, they don't love the game. Exactly. And, and when is it? You're, you're talking about timing where 40 million people have lost their job like in the last month and a half. All right. And it, there's, a, there's people that, you know, are sitting there scanning groceries all day long you know, in contact, close proximity to people that are honestly at a massive amount of risk with this virus. And they see that, you know, Blake Snell, who makes $25 million a year, says, I ain't cutting my pay to go out there and risk it. What do you think people think about that? They can't they think, stand it. They think they're assholes. Exactly. Rich, entitled millionaires. And then everyone says, I don't care what happens. I'm never watching them. I'll never watch these babies. They get paid this, mon this amount of money. But, I'm done with it. And then the players will walk back to the table. Right. But also, the, the goal for the owners is to make money. And when they put the players in this position where they're getting this negative publicity, it's bad for baseball. And therefore, it's bad for money and bad for the owners. I baseball, agree. just with this initial report, is losing fans. Now, is it because the players, and I, I love Jeff Passan puts it out there, if a guy was going to make $35 million this year, full salary, in the new proposal, he would make 7.84. Yeah, that's a big difference. That, that, yeah. That's a big difference. I'd be that pissed off, too. a little bit. Yeah, I'd be pissed off, too, if I was one of those guys. But right now, with how far apart Major League Baseball and the players seem to be apart, it's not good for anyone. No. And I, I don't think that they have not handled – this well at all in my opinion and right now you look around the rest of pro sports i mean the nba they're they're talking about the orlando bubble they're still trying to figure out how many teams and what the format's going to be is it going to be round robin is it going to be you know world cup style are they just going to go straight to playoffs the nhl they say hey when it when we can play the top four seeds is going to be a round robin for seeding. Then five through 12, we're going to play best of five series. And you're like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And if, all of a sudden, baseball's just digging a deeper hole for itself. If it, you know, the NHL had to get together and say, we got to come up with a plan 
or our players are going to start going up to the Arctic Circle and playing on a frozen pond somewhere to finish this Those thing. dudes are nuts. That's I how love hockey, hockey guys, guys are. I gave up on Major League Baseball a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, a long time ago it, because there's way too many players that make a ton of money, and at this point, they're so far behind that are just saying, ah, we'll do it next year. Do it next year. So I, I, I just I don't think Major League Baseball gets anything going. I don't I don't watch any Major League Baseball until the playoffs. I I really Same. don't. I I just I just hate when these people are making these decisions, and it seems like they're just damaging the game, right? Mm-hmm. Because sports being popular, in my opinion, it's good for all the other sports. I mean, to to keep America's love of sports as high as possible is good for everyone in the sports business, but. I don't know. I just uh, – I'm not going to lose sleep over there being no Major League Baseball this season, but I do know some people that, that really, really love it. And it's just unfortunate that they seem to be really far apart right now. Now, Ted, my, my winner of the week, college athletes. Now, there's a chart that made its way around the social media platforms. And – Basically, what happened was Axios Sports requested earning estimates from Opendoors, which is a company that is geared to helping athletes build their brand. They recommended those estimates from Opendoors for a sample of 12 college athletes. Now, one of those college athletes, and it, it was just, it, it seems like it was kind of a random 12. One of them was Sam Ellinger, quarterback from Texas, who, three-year starter, going to be a four-year starter, very well-known school, a big city in Austin, and he has a combined 197,000 followers on Instagram and Twitter. They ran it through their algorithm or whatever the hell they used. Um, They said that they were relying on you know, their experience and the data that they've collected doing this for years and years. And they came up with a figure for Sam Ellinger's potential earnings this season if the name, image, and likeness stuff was in place right now. That number was $962,000 just south of a milli for Ellinger. And there's, there's quarterbacks that have – a lot more followers on Instagram and Twitter than him, and there's quarterbacks that are better players than him. Now, UT and Austin, that factors in, and the factors were school, social presence, and success slash name recognition. But I saw that and went, my God, these kids are all going to be rich. Good for college athletes. That's a big-time number, Ted. That's that's crazy, and, you know – that's one of the things with social media. Um, I think it's going to be the ultimate, ultimate demise of our society uh, on one hand. On the other hand, there's never been a quicker, easier way for famous people to make money. Oh, you got a, I got a tweet that I used Clorox bleach washing my underwear uh, this weekend and I get $7,000 done. 
line them up and I'll knock them out left and right. You For know, sure. I mean, it's like the, it's the easiest income ever. I mean, you're not going and sitting down somewhere and signing two hours worth of autographs and taking pictures and all that stuff. You're sending a tweet that takes no more than 30 seconds to put together that's fantastic. I love that for those guys. So, yeah. I mean, I we'll see. I mean, if that if that's honestly true, then boy, we're going to see a lot of Twitter uh, fire up, Instagram fire up from college athletes across the country. Yeah, and you you think of a guy at Oklahoma like Spencer Rattler who has significantly more followers than Ellinger. If he ends up winning the job and playing well, that kid's going to be raking in some cash. One interesting name that was on the list uh, from Open Doors in Axios Sports, Cade Cunningham, number one recruit in the country, going to be playing basketball in Stillwater for Mike Boynton and the Cowboys next season. I was a little surprised by his earnings prediction. Uh, frankly, I think it it's wrong because he came in at $32,000 with a guy that has his potential and could possibly be a top five pick in the draft after one year, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to want to get on, get in on the front end yeah. of Cade Cunningham's career. I can't imagine if the name, image, and likeness stuff were in place next basketball season that that guy would only rake in $32,000 of endorsements. That's, that's really hard for me to believe. Well, I mean – I think it's a name that a lot of people probably aren't very familiar with right now, but, you know, I look back to when Zion Williamson was at Duke, you know, people that follow sports knew who Zion was. I remember watching his high school tape and just remember just thinking like, Oh my God, I cannot believe this athlete. It's insane. But when he went to Duke, you know, you started off the season and a lot of people knew who Zion Williamson was. But by the time he blew out his shoe and all of those different things that happened down the stretch in that season, can you imagine how much people would have been paying for him to send out a tweet or something? I, I mean, if from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, it would have grown exponentially. Yeah, I think someone – I can't remember who did it, but they estimated just from endorsements he would have made somewhere in the range of like $4 million. Mm-hmm just for that season at Duke. And I think it probably could have been even more than that. I mean, the guy was – I mean, he was headlining SportsCenter every time he every played. Night. I mean, well, there was a worthy dunk every single time. It was, it was insane. I think the one thing to watch, though, is as these numbers start to make the rounds and people start to see them and see what their value is, we're going to see a bunch of guys – all over Twitter, Instagram, all the time, trying to increase that follower's number. And, I, I, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Those guys are, are more than welcome to do that. But, you know, you just hope that it doesn't become a distraction. Right. You know? so, and Because if that's your only source of income, that's where you're going to spend all of your time. You, you got to remind guys that people will only want to pay you if you play well. That's right. Even if you have a lot of followers, people aren't going to want to pay the guy that's shitty at football even if he has a lot of followers. Now, I could be wrong, Rarely. but that, that usually is not, not how it works. 
Okay, let's finish this thing up uh, with highlighting what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. We call this segment Keeping It Local. And all is right in the state of Oklahoma, Ted, because yesterday Chickasaw Nation Casinos reopened. That's right. Riverwind, Newcastle, Windstar. I know that we've got a lot of people in Dallas that listen to that, and now that Windstar's open, they're going to be making that drive. But there's some limitations on it. 25% capacity of what they normally do. You got to let them take your temperature before you go in. You got to wear a mask. Now, Lincoln Riley found out that maybe Oklahomans <laughs> don't like wearing masks that much this week uh, with a little t- Twitter spat. But they've done, they've taken some precautions. They've removed every other chair at slots, bars, and restaurants. Unfortunately, no table games or poker rooms. And they actually close now. Uh, 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. for that's a deep, my, that's usually my for hot a deep spot. clean. That's that's when you're rolling in about 4:15. <laughs> no, I like it, man. I like whenever you know we see more and more things open up. Um, think they're doing it smart, just kind of dipping their toe in the water here instead of saying, "She's open, boys, come on in." You know, they're gonna they're gonna take it easy early on, see how things go, see how things progress, and um, I'm sure you'll see more and more of those restrictions lifted. I think that's a good sign. I've heard the machines are hot right now, Gabe. You you would assume that those machines are real hot because they want people to come back. That's right. Now they would. I I don't know how slot machines work and like the regulations. I'm not sure they can do anything like that. But I'm sure if they would, or if they, they could. could, they would. They they would. I would. But uh, another fun story here in the state of Oklahoma. Just a just a really cool story that I read about yesterday, uh, a man from Winoka named Gerald Jaquith. Jaquith. I don't know how to say it. Uh, my apologies to the Jaquith family. J-A-Q-U-I-T-H. Never seen that last name in my life. It's pretty sweet, though. But Gerald Jaquith left his entire estate valued at more than $2 million to the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. And this is a guy that taught math in Shattuck and Ringwood schools, uh, had a lot of land that he grew up on with his family. And that that land and that farm equipment and a couple stocks and bonds, Ted, it all added up to $2 million to a great nonprofit here in Oklahoma City in OMRF. They do great work on cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, all kinds of things. I know a lot of people over there. And that's just really cool that someone would leave something that substantial for a nonprofit that's doing really important work. Fascinating, isn't it, that a math teacher was able to accumulate a large amount of wealth over time uh, just by kind of knowing the, the way numbers just work. So knowing math. Right. Uh, the positives help, the negatives don't. That's, I think that's just brilliant. I mean, amazing. I know, you know, one of the things that, that people forget a lot about in this country is, you know, we, we talk about, you know, who's paying their fair share, who's doing, um, you know, the right thing. 
we forget that there are a lot of people in this country that carry a huge burden for a lot of a uh, lot of places like the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. There's a ton of charitable dollars that go into organizations like this all across the country. And without guys like Gerald, uh, a lot of the advancements that we see out there just quite frankly don't happen. So um, these, these guys that, that do stuff like this and Gerald, he, he's a hero. He really is. He's right. he, this $2 million uh, undoubtedly will eventually save people's lives. Yeah. And and that's what makes it such a damn cool story for me. And, and just, I, I hope people that normally contribute to nonprofits here in the state of Oklahoma, that those people continue to do that if they're able, right? I, I know there's a lot of people out there lost their jobs. They're have fallen on hard financial times, but those nonprofits, I mean, they're dependent on those donations. So I see a story like this and with everything going on with the coronavirus and how it's affecting all businesses and just a large number of people, you can't forget it's affecting those nonprofits as well. So if you're able continue to give because those dollars, they make a difference. They do, especially here in the state of Oklahoma. I know you saw that uh, Alzheimer's research in there. You've only had about 700 uh, undiagnosed concussions. Yeah, great. No, I, th- this isn't this isn't motivated. This this <laughs> isn't selfish at all. <laughs> Please give them money. Help. Um, let's finish up with a couple Twitter questions, Ted. This one comes from at EJB Band 21 on Twitter. He slid into the the show Twitter's DMs and said. What's the best steak you've had in Oklahoma? Keep up the great stuff. Look at look look at that. He thinks we're doing great stuff. Best steak that? you've had in Oklahoma. Man, that is so hard because I feel like whenever if you give an answer to this question, you're dropping a deuce on another really really good restaurant. Okay, well then g- give your Top two or three, then. Can you narrow it to two or three? I love Mahogany Downtown. So good. Love Mahogany Downtown. So very good. Um, I like the ranch. I think it's fantastic. I'm stoked. I haven't been to the one that just opened in Norman. They had bad timing. They were just about to open the doors when all this stuff happened. So I still need to try the one in Norman. But the ranch up north is is fantastic. Um, For my third, dude, you got to go with Cattleman's. You just have to. See, uh, I feel like that's – Stockyards. I, I feel like that's a – that's a pretty consensus three mm-hmm. around the Oklahoma City metro area, right? I, I think you you can't go wrong with any of those. I, I'm probably going to the ranch first, and it's simple for me. It's closer to my house than Mahogany is. <laughs> I'll tell you. That's it. That's that's why I'm going there over mahogany, but those are definitely my top two. Cattleman's it it's it's about the atmosphere there, right? The ambiance and just you know, having that feeling being at Cattleman's, walking out, smelling like cattleman. So those would be the those are literally my top three as well. I'll tell you, um I really like Red Prime. It's been a while since I've been really good. And a new one that I really like is Broadway 10. 
that place is fantastic. See, now you're speaking my language. Now, if, big Broadway tin guy. If I had to choose, like I can only go to one. This is your last meal, whatever. I'd probably go with Cattleman's. Probably. Really? Yep, I think so. That's fair. I, I, that's I would assume that would be a popular pick amongst yeah. the listeners because it, it you do get that nostalgic feeling and you talk about a place feeling local my goodness that's right i mean exactly you walk across the street pick up a pair of boots before you go to dinner it's a way to do it that is that man that's tough i i still think i'd go with the ranch and it, it's simple for me it's the closest one to my house <laughs> hey i will say this though I think it's there are more places in Oklahoma City right now to get a fantastic steak than ever before. These are some of the well-known chains, but there are a dozen of smaller venues that are fantastic. The the weird thing about steak in Oklahoma is is it just me or is it better than everywhere else you get steak? Are, are the cows different? Is it just because this is where I live and I have like that bias because when I go eat steak at other places, like it's good, but I will always say something like, eh, well, you know, so-and-so in Oklahoma city, it, it, it's better. I mean, this is good, but you know, the ranch or mahogany or cattleman's, it's just better. It just is. And I, maybe that's just a me thing, but I doubt it. I, no, I think Oklahoma's see- got the best steak on the planet. I agree with that. There does seem to to be something at least regional. Oklahoma and Texas, the steak is usually really good. Um, I like what, you know, Las Vegas, Arizona is usually pretty good. But when you get to the coast, it it seems to be a little bit different. Don't they, know why that is, but. They don't, they don't got good cows on the coast. Ted. I think so. That's it. That's just how it works. Now, uh, one more Twitter question. This comes from at 44DMJ. And he says, who were your roommates in school and at the hotel? Did that change by the week? No. It didn't Didn't for me. Did you have the same? Well, I mean, changed by the year. But... Yeah, changed by the year with the roommates. So I lived with Drew Allen for all four years that he was there. Uh, now, we moved into a house my sophomore year. And it was me, Justin Chasen, Tom Wart, Drew Allen, and Ryan Reynolds was actually still living there uh, because it was it was a da- it was a house that his dad owned, and a bunch of OU uh, OU football players had lived in it before us. So we lived there, and then when Reynolds' dad sold that house a couple years down the line, we moved over in Wood Creek, uh, not too far from that Brahms. I know a lot of people know what I'm talking about. And it was me, Drew Allen, Tom Wart, and then uh, Trey Millard lived – Trey Millard lived in that cul-de-sac house as well. We lived in like a family home, by the way, like two-story, really nice. It was great. It was fantastic. That's but awesome. um, we also – my last couple of years lived with Dylan Hartsook and lived with Brandon Green. So it, it was always football guys, though, because you – I mean, you have a crazy schedule when you're a Who'd football player. Who'd you live player. in the dorm with? Drew Allen. Okay, Drew Allen, yeah. Mm-hmm. My freshman year, 
I lived in the bud with Wes Sims. And that's a whole lot of country right there, brother. That's a whole lot of country. Um, we were, I mean, <laughs> two ships passing in the night. I feel like uh, I never even saw him. Like the only thing I feel like we did together our entire freshman year is miss like the third training camp practice of the year. We both slept in. Oh my God. Dude, I opened my eyes and I could see light coming in the, the crack of the window. And I thought, oh, my God. And no more than two seconds later, boom, 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 someone's pounding on the door. That was a horrible experience. But after the freshman year in the dorms, we moved to a duplex. We had both sides of a duplex connected, and there were six of us there. On my side, it was uh, myself, Lance Donnelly, Brian Odom. On the other side, Jason White, Dan Cody, and Michael Thompson, and we had some good times. It was a lot of fun. I bet. Did, did you guys just burn that duplex to the ground after you guys left? Let's just say we left it in much worse shape than whenever we took over. It was brand new. We were the first people to live in it when we moved in. When we moved out, it looked like a tornado had hit I, the place. When we left uh, the Trails Courthouse, I, I think it it got sold to like a – basket like an assistant basketball coach or something but when they were walking in we were you know they were looking around we were grabbing our stuff I was like you're gonna want to really deep clean this thing <laughs> that's the only thing I said that's all I said I like, you're gonna really like I I mean professionally clean this thing I'll tell you what's funny so my freshman year on the road my roommate was Torrance Marshall and it's like one of the greatest experiences ever. You have, I mean, you could not pick two guys from completely different backgrounds. Like, I, it was just, it was an awesome experience. Loved that guy. He was fantastic. I learned from him, learned how to prepare, learned his mindset, his mentality. I was just a sponge. I just stayed the hell out of his way and just kind of watched what he did. I think a lot of people did that with old Torrance but, Marshall. Talk about an intimidating-looking guy. Oh, well, I mean, he's only 6'3", 255-pound Mike linebacker in college. No big deal. But that was awesome. My, my first road trip in college football, we went to play Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Bengals Stadium. And I was rooming with Brian LePack. And this was the only time I roomed with Brian LePack because Brian LePack has sleep apnea. Oh, no. And when I tell you I got 30 minutes of sleep the night before that game, that may be an over-exaggeration. I don't know if I slept at all. I ended up – it was so bad, I ended up going and setting up a pallet in the bathroom <laughs> to try to sleep. I swear – and oh after that God. game, I, I, went, uh, I went to our ops guy. I was like, hey, man, I love LePac. He's my favorite, but I got to get a new roommate. My new roommate was Tyler Evans. Gigantic man, quiet, quiet sleeper. Slept like a baby. Huh? And I never had an issue the rest of my career at OU. So I, I know LePac, he, he, he felt really bad, but I'll never forget that. I was – I was absolutely miserable 
he just threw got that a entire game. job, right? Yeah. At Southern. Yeah. Cool. He's going to be going to be shaping young minds, but he ruined that night for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. He apologized so many times too. All right, Ted episode 11 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from two to six on sports talk 1400. You can hear me on Sirius XM big 12 radio channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do. Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one.